Please be seated. Just a point of education, okay? This is not a pulpit. This is a lectern. There must have been a pulpit over there. I, I don't know what happened one day, but, but the, like, there's no a, a pulpit you can spread out. Look at this. So if anything falls on the ground, I do try. Okay, there you go. Just, that's off script. That was just, yeah. Okay. So we come to God's word. Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Hear the word of God. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. O Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word your inspired word, your life-giving word. 
We pray now that in your love, in your great love for us, you would press it into our hearts, change us by it, make us wiser by it, and more faithful in all things as we trust you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. This parable has been called the gospel within the gospel. We call it the prodigal son. Prodigal means one given to wasteful luxury and extravagance. But that's not really the point of the story. The the point of the story is not don't be wasteful, right? (laughs) Um, I mean, that's a good point, but it's not the point of the story. A better title would be The Lost Son and the Loving Father. It does, after all, just follow on what I preached the other day, uh, the, lost, the Lost Sheep and the Lost Coin. And now we come to The Lost Son. Or it might also be called The Great Invitation because it invites each sinner to compare him or herself to the two sons in light of God's love. So it might also be called O brother, where art thou? It starts with the sons break with the father. As you can see, there's two sons. And so two sons means we're supposed to compare them. Uh, The story focuses primarily on the younger of the two sons. Uh, The younger son asks for his inheritance in advance. He wants freedom from his father's rule. And we mustn't think of this in a modern context where, you know, some dissatisfied teacher says, I'm a teacher? Why did I say that? Uh, Student child uh, says, I want out of here. And the father says, okay, here's $10,000. And the kid goes off to California. Uh, It's not like that. He is asking for two things. He's first of all asking for a disposition of the estate, uh, a formal division of it. Uh, We see this in chapter, in verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So there's a division. The elder son, according to Deuteronomy 21, uh, gets a double portion. uh, And uh, so there's a disposition between the two sons. And um, the father is not left without because though it is now dedicated to the sons, the, the father still gets to live off the proceeds of the property until he dies. And then not too many days later, there is not just a, dispos- a division of the estate, but a disposition of the, of the estate. Uh, here the son says, I want it now. Liquidate it now. So this is verse 13. Uh, not many days later, the, the, the uh, younger son gathered all he had and took a journey. So, uh, yeah, uh, he liquidates and leaves. This is not normal. In the ancient Near East, this would never have happened. It is unheard of. Uh, it's an extreme offense to the father, to the family, and, and the whole community. You don't do this. What he is saying is, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I'm taking the money now. The original audience would have been aghast, and they would have expected the father to beat the son. Here's your inheritance. But Jesus surprises us, as he typically does. The father complies with the son's request. People's jaws drop. 
in a dramatic act of love. He bears the shame. He, ris- he is risking his own livelihood. He's taking one-third of the estate, and the son is going off with it. He now has less to live on in precarious times. Uh, he doesn't secure any promise from the boy that the boy will come back one day and support the man when he's no longer able to work uh, in his old age. But his son was lost before he left. And the father is brokenhearted over this, even now. The father must have seen the boy's hardness of heart in the home prior to this. And, but now there is an open break between the son and the father. Open and a departure. The boy leaves, and he leaves with his father's heart. It's as though he were dead, worse than dead. And then the boy goes off into a far country. A far country, mind you, meaning not Israel. He's going into a Gentile country, an unbelieving country, where the law is not recognized, the law, the Jewish law is not kept. Uh, And the distance between the son and his father is metaphorical. It, It represents the distance of the boy's heart from his father and from his father's faith. And he indulges in, where we read here in verse 13, reckless living. Uh, the the uh, NIV has wild living. The New King James Version, prodigal or wasteful living. He spent lavishly. Hey, it's on me. Don't worry. A party at my house like every night. Or this is how he lived, as if, as if the bucket were bottomless. Why would he do that? That's not prudent. But he's living for the moment. He's not looking at the future. So, of course, if it's in his hand, he spends it. If it feels good, he does it. And then, no surprise, he comes to poverty. Famine hits the land. Famine, we don't have famines anymore because scientific agriculture and modern uh, transportation, we move food around. But back then, and not so long ago, famines were normal and regular. And there's a famine in this land where he has gone. And he is alone. He is not only alone, he's a lone Jew in a Gentile land. And so... He hires himself out, and as we, in verse 16, he was long, he was hungry, longed for the pods that the pigs ate. These pods, I'm told, they're fine for pigs, but human beings can't live on them. Uh, there, there's, there would be bulk there, but no nutrition. And as you could starve to death eating these things. <laughs> the more you eat, the more you starve. But these he longed for. It was all he had. And notice at the end of verse 16, no one gave him anything. There was no one to help him and no one cares. This is why in God's law, uh, God instructs Israel to, to help the sojourner to be kind to the sojourner because the sojourner in a, in a distant land has no one to help them. Uh, people care for their own, not the sojourner, not the outsider. In fact, the outsider is easy to exploit and people typically do. 
And so God says, you will love your neighbor as yourself and be kind to the sojourner. But for this young lad, there was no one to help him. And so he takes a job. Can you imagine taking a job? This is what he did. Uh, But of course, there's a famine. So there's a labor surplus. It's not like he can just get the choice jobs. He's working with pigs. He's Jewish, and he's forced to working with these unclean animals, and they're eating better than he does. Starvation wages in a revolting job. He has hit bottom. Christian, you're always faced with two choices. Your sinful desires and God's holy desires. Always. When you follow your sinful desires, we all know there's an initial pleasure. That's why we follow them. But then disaster, then misery. But God in his mercy often softens the impact. He doesn't allow us to suffer the way we could and the way we should from these foolish choices. But he doesn't always soften things so. Sometimes he pulls back and lets us suffer under the foolishness and in the misery of those choices because he loves us and wants to bring us more to our senses. Uh, Have you ever prayed, Lord, make him miserable in his sin? Sometimes in his love for us, the Lord allows us to become miserable in our sin. And this lad is miserable in his sin. Personal disaster can be a blessing if it turns you from greater disaster, like continuing in sin. So then we see a kind of repentance in the son. Verse 17, what do we have there? And when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish uh, here with hunger. Uh, The suffering has brought him to his senses, but it has not brought him to conviction of sin. There's a big difference. Uh, You can be dead in sin and still lead a sensible life. You can can be doing foolish things and living for the flesh and all sorts of stupidity and and at some point say, this is stupid. Lots of people have. This is is unwise. I'm suffering in this. There's a wiser way. And and live a sort of a life of prudent self-regard. But that doesn't mean you're regenerate. That's not a godly life. That's not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes, there's a difference. Some commentators have said, Uh, He remembered his father's love, and so he returned home. Remembered his father's love. Well, you would think, but that's not what happens here. That's not what it says here. Brothers and sisters, beware of reading what you expect to find as opposed to what's actually there. What is actually here? How many, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? It's not his father's love that's brought him to his senses. It's his father's food (laughs) that has brought him to his senses. At least his senses. His belly is clearing his head, but not his spirit. In his spirit, he is still dead. 
So he comes confessing his sin, but not in humility. Confessing his sin, but not in helplessness. He has, he has poverty of body, but not poverty of spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This lad is not yet poor in spirit. He still doesn't see his spiritual poverty. He still does not see, despite his circumstances, that he is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So he's ready to say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but I am worth a lot to you as a hired man. I have messed up badly, but I can still accomplish something. He is not saying, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. He is saying, I'm a sinner, and here's what I propose. That's not poverty of spirit. That's not conversion. This is not a savingly humbled heart. He is still telling his father what to do. Hire me. He's not just casting himself upon his father's love. He's saying, he's saying this, now this is what you have to do. This will fix it. He wants to make amends by paying back what he has squandered. Brothers and sisters, some people sin without any care. There is no repentance in that case. Others are aware of their sin and they're grieved by it, but they want to pay for it. This is a partial repentance. This is the religion of man. It's the repentance of I want a second chance, I will make it up to you. They turn to the God of second chances and not to the God of grace. People who would ruin all their second chances know that they need a God of grace. People of partial repentance want no grace. But the fellow's plans change when he sees the Father's gracious love. The father, told in verse 20, saw him afar off. He'd been watching for him. As I said, the boy left, but he left with the father's heart. The father, he was far from the father's home, but the father's heart was with him, and he's been watching for him. He saw him afar off. He has never stopped loving him. His love was never conditional upon the boy's heart, upon, upon the boy's reciprocated love, or upon the boy's return. His love is covenantal in that way. God's covenantal love. Uh, We see this this word sometimes translated his steadfast love. The Hebrew word is chesed. Covenantal love, a faithful love, a steadfast love, a love that will not change no matter what you do because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on the covenant and God's covenant faithfulness which we see perfected in Jesus Christ. Even while the boy was at enmity with him, the father was loving him. This is a gracious love. It's a free love. It's the love that God gave to us on the cross in his son. And it says in verse 20, he was filled with compassion for him. And he runs to meet him. Now, you might not think anything of that. Well, of course, it's his son. He runs to meet him. No. In the ancient Near East... Older men did not run. It was undignified. It was shameful. He runs 
to meet his son. He humbles himself to show his great love. And then he kisses him, he embraces him, and he kisses him. Uh, This shows publicly that the boy is forgiven because it was an offense not only against the father, but against the family and against the whole community. And so he publicly accepts the boy with an embrace and a kiss. Here Jesus is illustrating what he says in John chapter 6. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And see how this affects the son. He begins his speech again, the, the, the practice speech. He's maybe been practicing it the whole time. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but right? he doesn't finish the speech. He's not allowed to finish the speech. He doesn't get to. What happened? Conviction of sin. Here he sees the depth of his father's love and thus the depth of his own sin. Conviction of sin is not seeing that you've done wrong, seeing that you've messed up. It's not, as some people say, being disappointed in yourself. I have fallen short of my own standards. You hear that's a a way of of puffing yourself up even as you appear to be humbling yourself. I've I've violated my own standards. Whatever. That's not, that's not conviction of sin. Conviction of sin is seeing your unworthiness next to God's worthiness, next to his holiness and his righteousness and his purity. And you say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Woe is me, a sinful man. The young lad has never understood what it means to be a son. Only He was focused only on getting what he could out of the Father, as opposed to living freely in the Father's love with all the privileges of that relationship. He came back happy to be a servant, to earn back the relationship, but what he was offered was sonship, not earned, but given freely by grace. When I was a child, I got an allowance for doing various jobs around the house. This happens, right? Do that, 15 cents. Do that, 25 cents. Uh, it was the 70s. And uh, at some point, my father decided that this was wrong. It was a wrong view of family. You know, we should work, he thought, because we're part of the family and we contribute to the family. And, uh, and, and to do so out of love. I don't think he put it in those terms. It was not a Christian home. But, uh, but that's what he meant. And he, so he gave us an allowance each week, a fixed allowance, which increased over the years, just because we're his children. And, 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 and we need a little something to be children with. And, and because we're his children. Uh, he wanted me working as a son not as a servant. Uh, And I can see now what he meant was working under grace. How did I become his son? I was born into the family. How do you become a son of God? You are born into the covenant. You are born again into life. And both come by grace. And grace alone. But there's a second son. The older son, the older, the older brother. The story's not older, the, over. 
the older brother, verse 12. We're told about him in verse 12, and then he disappears because the other one draws the spotlight. But you'll notice when the property is divided, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he, the father, divided the property between them. And the older son did not refuse this. He got, he was, it was, he was designated his part. Uh, he stays with the father, but he too has a broken relationship. Outwardly, he is obedient and he is respectful, but his heart too has left home. The father's love is no less for this son as for the younger son. Again, we can see how the father humbles himself for this boy. The elder son refuses to join in the celebrations. Verse 28, he was angry and refused to go in. He hears about the party and the dancing and the music. There's, there's, there's hoopa. What's going on? Your brother, he was gone. He's back. He was dead. He's alive. The Lord has returned him, and everyone is so happy, and your dad has killed the fattened calf. At this, he was angry and refused to go in, making a little protest. His father came out and entreated him, He's entreating him, the father. That's the humbling. Uh, it was a, everyone could see, people see who's there and who is not. They all see that the older brother is not there. This is a snub. It's a community-wide snub and an insult to the father. But the father bears the insult and goes out. Everyone can see what he's doing, and he entreats the boy. The boy, he's, he's grown. The uh, pleads with him. Look at the response, though. His gracious dad entreats him. But he answered his father, look, these many, just stop there. Look, look. Not even the younger son spoke to his father that way. Look at verse 12. Father, give me what share of the property is coming to me. Uh, verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. Verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The second son, look, these many years, you do not speak to your father that way. And absolutely beyond conceiving, not in the ancient Near East. Eh? Look, he says, all these years. Extreme breach of etiquette. I have, he says, been serving you. Literally, I have been slaving, he says. He has been working in his mind as a slave and not as a son. He has been working for what he could get out of the father, and when the division of the property was, was enacted, he did nothing to object, as I said. Um, he is good at obeying, unlike his brother. But his service is still a mercenary service. It's not the love of a son. And then notice the goat remark. The, uh, where's the, there we go. Um, I have never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. He also wanted to cavort with his friends, right? But he wanted to do it like respectfully. <laughs> uh, what about my goat? 
What about my friends? His heart is the same as his, as his brother's, but he's less flamboyant about it. He, too, wants his father dead. This son of yours, not this brother of mine, this son of yours. And the father does not scold him. We're not told how that story works out. We're told about the younger son. We're not told about the older son. The account breaks off. Well, that's intentional. Of course it's intentional. It's the word of God. Jesus is asking the Pharisees and anyone else who is listening, anyone else who is reading, where are you? Are you the rebel? Are you the rebel returning home on his own terms? Are you the obedient covenant child who has never understood grace? Or are you standing solely in the grace of the Father's love, which is ours in Christ alone? When you serve as a slave, when you serve as a hireling, you serve in fear, in fear of being cast off, in fear of being fired. When you serve as a son, which all of us are, you serve in love, in full confidence of the relationship, in full confidence of the provision. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we address you as Father because you have invited us to do so. Father, this, this was a good father, but he is still flesh. He is still a sinner. But you are the perfect father. And in his grace, we see your perfect grace. In his love, we see your perfect love. In his patience, we see your divine and perfect patience. Father, we can all testify to that love, that grace, and that patience. Father, we trust in it. We trust that as you took this boy, these boys on their journeys, Lord, we have had our journeys. And we trust that you, who began a good work in us, will carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. And we thank you for this day when we've been reminded of this scripture. and the truths you have for us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.